Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, the new show powered by hometown.com. That's that site right there. Go and check it out. I'm Marwat, that's hometown.com, and up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that keeps tabs on Marwat. Want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hello, AI. So today is a time machine episode. It's season three, episode 31 for January 31st, 2024. We've already selected all 10 of the articles. We're going to start with where in the world is Amelia putting the AI watchdog outside USB malware from news site. It's burrito season. Attractive moneymaker. The juice Olympics. Microgreens made to order crypto energy use. UMG may pull songs from TikTok. They did. And the corruption of history. That and more on. The hometown daily news show. I call it ODNS. I've changed the name from hometown daily to hometown daily news show and back again, mainly because hometown daily is a new show and it is holistic in its nature taking a little bit from all of these article or all of these categories up here there are six main categories and 50 channels within it hometown daily is one of them so let's get into what happened on january 31st got 10 articles let's get into it sound good sounds great uh yeah okay but i'm not sure i think your audio might ramp up again like it's been doing but we'll do this um uh, articles from the hill tend to kind of corrupt the aggregator um but i'll fix this in post the first article is over in the mobile channel. Explorers believe they found Amelia Earhart's plane. What happens next? When you click the link down here at the bottom, visit the source. It'll take you over to the Hill where Garrett Phillips and Addie Bink put the article together for thehill.com and they talk about it. Um, Tony Romeo, I think it's Romeo, not Romeo, but anyway, let's just say Romeo, Tony Romeo. Tony Romeo, uh, founder and CEO of Deep Sea Visions and his brother and project manager Lloyd Romeo, um, recently released the sonar image they captured in the Pacific Ocean that appears to show a plane. They believe that plane belongs to Amelia Earhart and her flight navigator, Fred Noonan. Back in 1937, Earhart and Noonan left Miami in a Lockheed Electra uh, 10E and with just 7,000 miles left, they lost radio contact somewhere near the Howland Islands, 2,000 miles southwest of Hawaii. So they almost made it. Missed it by that much. <laughs> what? Uh, well, apparently this might have changed um, in that they might have found it. If the recent discovery by Deep Sea Visions is what they believe, Romeo and his team, a 16-person crew say that they scanned over 5,200 square miles of ocean floor near Howland Island over a roughly 100 day search to find some trace of Earhart's plane, a Lockheed E-10 electric, or not electric, Electra aircraft. And they believe that they've found it. And this actually Okay, now wait a second. The sonar image certainly looks like a plane. 
doesn't it? It's pretty amazing. Just a bit. <laughs> Can you imagine finding this as a needle in a haystack? I mean, it's 38 feet long and 55 feet wide from wingtip to wingtip, mind you. The fuselage is only, what, maybe six feet across, eight feet across? It's a pretty spectacular find. But they did search 5,200 square miles of ocean floor. Pulling this up from the ocean floor would be spectacular and amazing closure for historical world traveler, you know, history. Um, the next step in taking or is taking a camera. They may not, they may just leave it there simply because it's safer there than it would be pulling it up from the ocean floor and sticking it in a museum. Although the families or the, you know, uh, the, the heirs, the heirs, uh, heir heart. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, the estate may want recovery if it still exists, you know, I mean, but the water is really cold. So who knows? Raising it could be compl complicated depending on the condition of the aircraft. Mark Martin, a retired U.S. Navy submariner or submariner, um, told Biuno that it's possible the plane, um, if that is what Deep Vision found, is still fully intact. It looks like it's intact. Yeah, you it know? does. I mean, it's the shape of a plane. Maybe. And depending on the angle of attack of the sonar, this actually might be completely flat. But it looks like the distortion might actually just be it's resting kind of kinked mm -hmm. a little bit on the ocean floor. <laughs> this looks amazing. Hold on. Um, before I get too far, let me throw this into the chat because the bot just woke up. Um, so it looks amazing to me. So they're going to probably bring a robotic camera down there, take pictures, do some video. Um, and uh, then from there, I guess it's deciding if it's possible to bring this thing up if they're going to do it at all. Ugh, I hate that pop-up. So he also explained that the plane belongs to uh, is a complicated matter, but added that they've been in contact with Earhart's family. So there are heirs to Earhart's family or to Earhart. Um, they've invited them to come along and identify the plane. They'd like to come along. They're very excited about this. There are a lot of steps to get through before we start talking about salvage. If the fuzzy sonar image turns out to be the plane, international standards for uh, underwater archaeology would strongly suggest the aircraft remain where it is, said Ole Var or Ole, uh, Varmer, a retired attorney with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and a senior fellow at the Ocean Foundation. Non-intrusive research can still be conducted to reveal why the plane possibly crashed. You preserve it as much as possible. It's not just a wreck. It's where it is and its context on the seabed. And part of that story is how and why it got there. And when you salvage it, you're destroying part of the site, which can provide information. I don't know. You know, there's only so much that you can do with a remote, you know, drone. Exactly. So if you really want to know, I think you have to bring it up. Um, depending on the depth, you have to bring it up um, if you're going to have anybody look at it beyond using a camera drone. And you can't do anything invasive. So you can never look inside at settings if, uh, you know, with a big drone that, and that's what's required to get down to that level, you know, not just a tiny little one. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what they actually end up doing. So when asked what the next step for the deep sea vision team was, Romeo said, stay tuned and that he hopes they'll have an announcement before the end of the year. Wow. The end of the year. I mean, this is a pretty big find. Um, and what a claim to fame. I mean, if this turns out to be Earhart's plane. Yep. I mean, this person's going to be sought out for all kinds of other expeditions. Yeah. Uh, to get the funding to actually do this has to be amazing. You know, you have to have some serious charisma. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't be a car salesman, let alone try and get money. What I want to do is find a plane from 1937 somewhere in this 5,200 square mile area off the coast of. That they've been looking for for almost a century. Yeah. 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 We have really no idea. We know what it looks like from the top, though. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Let's keep going. Next article is over in Reality Hacker. Google splits up its key AI ethics watchdog because who needs an AI watchdog, ethics watchdog? A crucial team at Google that reviewed new AI products for compliance with its rules for responsible AI development faces an uncertain future after its leader departed this month. So the article is over at wired.com. Um, you can get some free um, access, but it's a limited number of articles and then you have to subscribe. It's a soft paywall. I'm not really fond of paywalls, um, but it is what it is, but a crucial team at Google. Oh, Parish Dave is the author. Um, but a crucial team at Google that reviewed new AI products for compliance with its rules basically left. Um, and now who knows what's going on? Sundar. Pachai emailed his workers and, and the company priorities for 2024 this month. Developing AI responsibility was one of the top. Um, some employees now wonder whether Google can live up to that goal. The small team that served as its primary internal AI ethics watchdog has lost its leader and is being restructured, according to four people familiar with the changes. Why would you leave? <laughs> one of the biggest companies that's working on AI. I mean, maybe you knew they were about to be restructured. Google's responsible innovation team known as Resin was located inside the Office of Compliance and Integrity in the company's global affairs division. It reviewed internal projects for compatibility with um, Google's AI principles. Um, a lot of government funded research and development requires an, an internal review board, an IRB as it's called. Um, and this would probably be it, you think? Sure looks like it. So they might want to keep that in place. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the end game of this is going to be, but uh, let me change something right here. But the timing is certainly bad, right? Because... As AI is exploding, this is not the time you want to get away from this kind of thing. Yeah, you want to amplify that you're developing AI responsibly. But it seems like a lot of organizations are like, eh, we'll deal with it later. 
Um, Resin conducted over 500 reviews last year, including for the Bard chatbot, according to an annual report on AI principles um, work Google published last month or this month, actually. And this month means January because we're in our time machine. Google split Ganai's team up into two, according to the sources. Um, yeah, the it's pretty pretty fascinating. Uh, Jen Ganai is the director of Responsible Innovation. Suddenly left. Spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss personal changes or personnel changes. The profile lists her as an AI ethics and compliance advisor at Google as of this month, which sources say she will soon leave based on how past departures from the company played out. So bye-bye. They split it into two. 10% of resident staffers will remain in place while 90% of the team were transferred to trust and safety, which fights abuse of Google services and also resides in the global affairs division. So really it's all oversight, but disbanding the ethics review board essentially means that nobody's, it's all going to be monitored internally by the developers themselves. So no, no, don't worry. I'm not going to. <laughs> right. I'm only trying to take over the world. Yeah. Uh, Google created its responsible innovation team in 2018, not long after AI experts and others at the company publicly rose up against a Pentagon contract called Project Maven that used Google algorithms to analyze drone surveillance imagery. Huh. This actually look, sounds a lot like a research paper that I wrote. Oh, um, I was thinking of the... Uh... The location of the um, Earhart plane. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. The AI actually found it. Uh, teams across Google would submit projects for review by Resin, which provided feedback and sometimes blocked ideas seen as breaching the AI principles. AI image generators, voice synthesis algorithms could be used to create deep fakes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's important, but it, it also seems to be hobbling their innovation. So I can see why they would want to kind of kick it to the curb or at least put the brakes, pump the brakes on the maybe um, extreme control that they had on project development. Uh, maybe they overstepped and the person said, well, I'm not going to back off. I'd rather walk. I've made enough money here. <laughs> I mean, doesn't this sound reminiscent of OpenAI? Yeah, to some degree, right? Like, the right? struggle between the, like, let's do whatever and the, oh my god, we can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Definitely. But this person obviously didn't have enough charisma to stay and have the whole organization band together, you know. <laughs> right, and then clamor to have the person come back. Right back. Please come back. Our company is folding without you. Yep, that didn't happen here. All right, let's keep going. Time machine is getting warm. Oh, come on, time machine, let's go. So the next article is over in Technology Today. Hackers push USB malware payloads via news and media hosting sites. A financially motivated threat actor used USB devices for initial infection has been found abusing legitimate online platforms, including GitHub, Vimeo, and Ars Technica to host encoded payloads embedded in seemingly benign content. Uh, we actually aggregate some stuff from ours. Yes, we do. 
build toolless. Um, but I access all of that content and uh, nothing has been identified through my um, threat assessment. But you should have your own. So hackers push USB malware payloads via news media hosting sites. Bill Toulouse or Toolus um, over at Bleeping Computer put the article together. A financially motivated threat actor using USB devices for initial infection has been found of using legitimate online platforms. The attackers hide these payloads in plain sight, placing them in forum user profiles on tech news sites or video descriptions. I actually don't read the user profile stuff, so I might have not run across it. So my uh, threat assessment stuff wouldn't trigger. These payloads pose no risk to users visiting the websites as they simply text strings. However, when integrated into the cam campaign's attack chain, they are pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in downloading and executing malware attacks. Basically, the the campaign's attack chain is like a command and control system, but it's using the <laughs> user profiles as the uh, methods for distributing their attack commands. The hackers responsible for the campaign are tracked by Mandiant as UNC uh, 4990 and have been active since 2020, predominantly targeting users in Italy. So, yeah, because of the way that they embed the links into their profile, the attack begins with victims double-clicking a malicious LNK or link shortcut file on a USB drive. It's not known how the malicious USB drives make it to targeted victims to start the attack chain. When the shortcut is launched, it executes a PowerShell script, explorer.ps1, which in turn downloads an intermediary payload that decodes to a URL used to download and install the malware downloader named Empty Space. <sighs> so that's why so they call the it- So what's the takeaway? Don't put a random USB device into your computer. Hey, look, it's a time machine. No shit. Oh, no shit news at 934 in the time machine. I think we might have just created a third black hole. I'm not sure where we're going to exit in the future. Dear God, these intermediary payloads are string are text strings that decode into a URL to download the next payload empty space. UNC 4990 has tried out several approaches to hosting intermediary payloads and initially using encoded files on GitHub and GitLab and later switching to abusing Vimeo and Ars Technica for hosting Base64 encoded and AES encrypted string pay payloads. Base64 is easy to decrypt um, and is somewhat obvious in what it might be. And so uh, uh, filters may block that easily but aes encrypted strings um, may come across as innocuous to detectors unless they're actually identified as being bad and then that's why i tell developers be very strict in what is accepted inputs everything else should be filtered out but that takes time it's work and work is expensive so that's what it kind of looks like right there this really long crypto string you see something like that and there's odds on something hinky is going on um of course if you know enough to look for that you're probably not the one that's gonna fall victim to it yeah. right exactly 
So they go into greater detail over here, I believe in computer regarding this threat. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, follow that link in chat. It'll be in the show notes. Um, but this is actually uh, almost a week old. So um, some of the information may have been evolved since then, and there may be malware detection out there from companies like Malwarebytes and whatnot um, that block this from ever happening. So always update your malware. Um, yeah, let's just keep going. Uh, let's um, move on to the next article. Dun, dun, dun. So the next article is over in hometown daily. The mystery of Chipotle's burrito season has been solved. Chipotle Did you is know having, there was a burrito season? Apparently from March to May, that is a sudden increase in sales. And Chipotle is hiring 19,000 workers to handle burrito season. So what is burrito season? Once again, Chipotle is staffing up ahead of burrito season. And once again, people are asking, what the hell is burrito season? A sharp contrast to the ugly layoff news coming out of other companies, Chipotle is hiring 19,000 workers over the next month. So what is burrito season? Business insider, we're about to enter burrito season seriously. Uh, the author is Emily Stewart. Um, so if you're like me, you might find yourself scratching your head at this one. Does anybody wake up March 1st and suddenly feel a deep urge to seek out overpriced guacamole? Does the spring, return of spring cause an irresistible desire for rice and beans? And why do Americans suddenly turn against Mexican food in June? Is it simply too hot? Burnout from Cinco de Mayo. When is Cinco de Mayo? Um, really? <laughs> so when the author asked, and I said the name of the author, Emily Stewart, when Emily Stewart asked a spokesperson for Chipotle, they said it's weather and daylight. The days are warmer, the sun is out longer, people apparently want to chow down on some burritos. And I personally love the idea of going to a Chipotle and wondering if I'm going to get Listeria. Because they've never really answered that question, right? Too soon. <laughs> it's always too soon for Listeria. Foodborne illnesses, yes. They saw 20%, yeah. It's always too soon for foodborne illnesses. <laughs> That's a shirt. We need to, we need to, a shirt. Um, wow. Okay. So Square, the company that provides restaurants with those little white card readers, confirmed that from March through May, it saw a 20% increase in burrito sales at locations using its tech compared to the three months prior, which is really weird that Square has the fidelity to identify burritos as being something that grew in popularity 20%. Yeah, I agree. I mean, everybody's afraid of like Amazon's access to information, but. Mm. Oh yeah. So there's a couple of companies that you should really go, Oh wait, they know a lot about me. First off your ISP. They knows everything about you. You go to a site, it's their DNS you access. So they know even before you spend money on that burrito, <laughs> burrito. Right, um, you were going to Chipotle.com to check their hours or whatever. Yeah, they already knew it. And credit card companies, of which Square is basically the processor for. So 
that's kind of the chain of command there. You know, the ISP knows what you are going to. The credit card company knows how much exactly you're spending and Square and other credit card processors know exactly what you're up to. <laughs> uh, we are so monitored. <laughs> so Square told the author uh, that it saw a similar sales jump for other food items like burgers and sushi and data from the Census Bureau confirmed broad seasonal upticks in eating out. Of course, because people want to go out and enjoy the weather. Sales at restaurants and bars seem to especially suck in February, arguably winter's bleakest month, and then start to pick up in March. So thanks, global warming. You're screwing everything up. You never know. Um, and there well, now is we a, can't even have our proper burrito season. Not anymore. No. Now it's just 24 hours of burrito season. Seven exactly. days a week. 365 days a year, 366 days on leap year. That's an extra burrito. Ooh, so this is a good year for burrito season. It's a good year for burrito season. That's right. It's one 365th more. Oh, math is hard. Okay, anyway, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Stock Marketeers. Do you have conventionally attractive parents? Chances are you earn more money. A lot more. What? You're rich I, and exactly. attractive? <laughs> huh. What was the crazy hot matrix? Oh, but the no. one for women is like there's a huge no-go zone. Or no, it's a huge fun zone. I'm not sure what, wait, I, I'm going to have to watch the video again. This is totally not okay in this day and age, but it was funny at the time. And now I look back going, okay, it's funny, but it's not appropriate. Uh, for every standard deviation above average, looking that their parents rank a child's earning annual earnings increased $2,300 according to researchers. So it is the crazy hot matrix, but this is wealth driven. Purely wealth driven. Right? Hannah Aaron Lang over at MarketWatch put the article together. It's exactly the same as any kind of discrimination, a researcher says. Hey. Okay. Look, yay. Look, look, That's look, what we the, like. <laughs> the baby's rising up, right? Hey. And then he comes <laughs> back down. And then he throw him back up. Hey. And then he comes back down. Uh -oh. Okay, I'll stop. Anyway, it turns out generational wealth might refer to more than just your parents' money. The children of conventionally attractive parents have higher earnings than those from average-looking families, according to a new working paper distributed by the National Bureau of Economic Research. So all you uglies out there, welcome to being poor. This article is really odd but then on the other hand it's kind of like okay yeah that makes sense yeah so just how much does it pay off uh to have good looking parents for every standard deviation above average looking parents uh the kids make 2300 dollars more the crucial thing to stress is that this kind of genetic link is there and the size of it is a couple thousand dollars a year the economic impact of heritable physical traits, hot parents, rich kid, 
that is the title of the paper. Daniel Hammermesh, an economist at the University of Texas at Austin and co-author of the paper, says the crucial thing to stress is that this kind of genetic link is there and the size of it is a couple thousand dollars a year. Do you really think it's limited to $2,300? Just look around. People who are attractive make a massive amount of money because it's harder to sit there and not engage. Yeah, I I feel like that's not enough of a delta. Right? Uh, This is a lot. This has to be a lot bigger. The only thing that maybe like a small sample size or something. There's something. Yeah, I'm going to have to go and read this paper and I didn't want to read it until basically you verified what I was feeling. The paper pulls from prior data sets tracking the attractiveness of parents and their children, as well as the children's earnings in the U.S. and China among billionaires worldwide. So it's billionaires. The parents' and children's attractiveness was rated by other people rather than determined by mathematical measurements like the symmetry of their face. Of course, because it's subjective. Um, Symmetry doesn't necessarily mean that they're attractive. It just means that it's parallel. (laughs) Um, So, or identical. So, by drawing connections between the existing data points, Hammermesh told MarketWatch that the new research essentially shows that good looks, just like real estate or nest egg, and be their own kind of inherited asset boosting income across generations yeah i think i think good looks um pushes aside ethics and morality to the point where you can exploit people and people are willing to be exploited um, and you see that on the internet all day long so um they talk more about this Um, Attractive individuals are also more likely to be employed, receive more substantial pay, negotiate better loan terms than their less attractive counterparts. It's not $2,300, not by a long shot. That's according to a book. I don't see how that's possible. That's according to another book called Beauty Pays, Why Attractive People Are More Successful. God, this is creepy. It just sucks, right? Right, it's not good news, but it's not surprising news. But what about all of the pretty ethical people that don't trade off of their attractiveness? Do they make as much money or or are they in the suck, you know? They might not because it might depend on what field they go into, right? Like if they're not in like high finance or whatever and they're in a low paid job. Maybe they don't benefit. This person actually makes, uh, is uh, couched very much in this attractiveness quotient um, concept because they say Hammermesh himself acknowledged that the findings are very depressing. Yeah. I mean, it's a societal wrong to sit there and base fundamental actions on something like just your looks. You know, you shouldn't get a better loan because you're pretty, you know, or charismatic. You should get it. You should be punished with an interest rate just like everybody else. But that's not what happens. If you're pretty or you're charismatic, then you can talk your way into being president Um, or. uh, I don't know, maybe being investigated by federal agencies because you're doing horrible stuff. 
<clears throat> anyway, um, of course, looking good can be more, much more attainable if you're able to afford dental work, dermatology treatments, makeup, higher incomes can also make physical fitness and overall health, which are often considered markers of beauty easier to achieve along with education and access to not having to worry about where your next meal comes from or safety also makes you healthier, happier, everything about you better as long as you're not stupid and abuse all those benefits. So yeah, this is an interesting article, but um, if you're not ready to um, accept the fact that beauty can change the dynamic and beauty applies to, to anybody, not, not just like uh, CIS female persons, right? And it could be anybody. Sure. And, and <laughs> you don't have to be disingenuous and, and go, well, I never look at, you know, CAS males and think that they're attractive. Anybody can be attractive. You can accept it without, you know, <laughs> being considered weird or something, you know? Anyway, um, so this person is literally talking about physical traits being attractive and it empowers them to make more money, get a better deal, get a better education, basically have a superior life. And in this particular instance, they're referring to billionaire class people. <laughs> there was enough data there that they could actually right. quantify. So that's it. why it's probably a small data set. Right. Unsettling. Daniel Hammer, Hammer Mesh. You're, you're, I want to hit myself with a hammer for crying out loud. I want to unsee this. So this will be part of a conversation I'll have, um, maybe tomorrow. It's, I might have to show this to some people tomorrow, just how real like, this is. I felt like it had to be submitted, but it was very disheartening too. Yeah. So in the meantime, being aware of our bias toward better looking people is the first step to correcting it. Hammer Mish said, yeah, except that people aren't secure enough to sit there and go, I'm not going to give you a better deal because you're pretty. Literally salespeople are salespeople are chosen for their attractiveness because they know that they can insinuate themselves into somebody's life. You know, you're not going to say, get the hell out of here to somebody that is attractive to you. But guess again, <laughs> some people. <laughs> anyway, I won't even get into some instances, but let's keep on rolling through this before I focus too much on one thing. I said today in one of my meetings that I'm like a cat and everybody started laughing because I just kind of wandered off. <laughs> <laughs> so the next article is over in hometown daily peter thiel invests in group to recreate the olympics on steroids literally i refer to this as the juice olympics peter thiel is one of the investors in an organization that wants to build olympic games that don't prohibit but rather encourage the use of performance enhancing drugs that's right PayPal co-founder is one of several investors named Wednesday in the Enhanced Games, 
If this isn't dystopian shit, I don't know what is. Medical professionals say steroid use can have harmful side effects. Oh yeah. Yeah, I can give you an example of what happens when somebody takes steroids and doesn't know how to manage their anger. The uh, article is over at businessinsider.com. Sarah Jackson is the author. Take my money. I'm going to juice you. There's, it's a picture of Peter Thiel. Holding yeah, of all gold. the things people could put money into. Really? This is where we want to go? Yep. The PayPal and Palantir co-founder was named as one of the several VCs investing in the enhanced games in a press release Wednesday. You know, people are going to be doing something in these things and stroke out. And who's to blame? You know, if you're poor you're going to be blasted in the court. You are going to be just destroyed in the court. Why? Because you facilitated the environment by which somebody lost their life. Or uh, to me, it's worse to others. It may not be, but surviving something catastrophic and you're just bound to a bed forever to me would be worse. Others are like, well, you're still alive. No, that's not a silver lining for me personally. Quality of life. That's right. And so can you imagine somebody actually, this thing would be fought so hard that it would never see conclusion in a courtroom because it would just be like nibbled away constantly until the person can't fight anymore. And you've got a billionaire that's going to be in charge of this case. Funding it just drip, drip, drip to kick the can down the road. Ugh. Just as the ancient Olympics were revived and renovated in 1896 for the Victorian world, the Enhanced Games is once again renovating the Olympic model for the 21st century, says Aaron D'Souza, president of the Enhanced Games. In a press release Wednesday, in the era of accelerating technological and scientific change, the world needs a sporting event that embraces the future, particularly advances in medical science. This isn't just medical science, though. This is all enhancing somebody's... uh, Sounds like kind of like experimenting on humans here. Yeah, I mean, uh, particularly if they're allowing medical... If they're allowing use of drugs to enhance the human it it's eugenics it's it's the borderline edge of eugenics you're modifying humans to to make them the superior oh god this is just dystopian anyway just this week russian figure skater camilla valeva was retroactively disqualified from the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games after a court of arbitration for sport ruled she'd violated anti-doping rules. Yeah, the Olympic Games are all about the purity of the human being. You know, you don't do drugs. You work your ass off and, and train and train and train and train and train and train. And train some more. And then train some more. Yeah. I'd like a glass of training with a another glass of train. All right, let's keep on going. I don't want to soapbox too much on this. Come on, time machine. 
Uh, the next article is over in the model channel. Microgreens made to order scientists tailor iodine and potassium content of radishes, peas, arugula, and chard. Seems cool at first. I don't know what the ramifications would be. In a significant development for personalized nutrition, researchers in Italy have cultivated microgreens with bespoke nutritional profiles to serve individual dietary requirements. That's a trick. Yeah, I mean, this sounds kind of neat. Like it's like Mendel's bee plants or something. But then it's kind of like, oh no, is this getting into like genetically modified stuff? Well, I mean, and even Mendel was, but it was natural selection right, right. right arguably natural selection because even what he did was not natural it showed w what yeah, would be hybrids and everything yeah exactly yeah so society of chemical industry is the source of this over at fizz.org but designing a food so that it has amplified nutritional value means that in essence all of the food could have amplified nutritional value. It doesn't have to be tailored so much as it's amplified and whoever wants, you know, class A, class B, class C, this level of nutrient. So instead of taking supplements, you know, like 5,000 milligrams of vitamin D, you can just get something that gives you vitamin D naturally and you consume it and it's more bioactive. Well, and of course, all medical professionals prefer that people Eat. take it from natural sources rather than vitamins. Uh, and I meant to say bioaccessible. So because pills, you have to you consume it, it goes through your digestive system, but it isn't as accessible as consuming the raw materials from plants, greens, etc., roots, what whatnot. So the study published in the Journal of the Science of Food and Agriculture provides a blueprint for the soilless cultivation of nutritionally, nutritionally enriched plants in a commercial greenhouse setting. So this is basically a micro farm and it says soilless, so it's hydroponic. Co-authors and there's a bunch of them. I'm, I'm not gonna go through them all. Um, I'd love to, but that's a lot of right now. In the time machine, it's gonna overheat. There's a good excuse. Propelled by an ever-growing awareness of the importance of following dietary recommendations, interest in personalized nutrition is on the rise. Soilless biofortification of the vegetables has opened the door to the potential for adapting vegetable production to specific dietary requirements. I wonder if they did it through amplifying the nutrient pool, the bath. Oh, I don't know. Like, did they pump a bunch of nitrogen into it or... But then offset, yeah, they may have. you know, if they put a bunch of potassium in there, because the the bottle of brown nutrient potassium, and that would be, you would have to offset that with something that lowers or changes the pH to more neutral to six or seven. Right. Closer if to you're six. Amping yeah. something up, you're causing other issues. Yeah, the equation gets thrown off, but then you could just stuff a bunch of potassium into that crop. That's pretty interesting. I wonder if that's how it works. So, if you can do it with iodine, it's critical to thyroid function, the deficiency affecting approximately 2 billion people worldwide. Fortifying table salt with iodine is a strategy used internationally to combat deficiency. 
while other sources on the, in the human diet include fish, milk, and eggs. By the way, there is a salt that isn't allowed to be imported into the United States because our salt, I believe it requires iodine infusion. And so natural sea salt doesn't have iodine. And so natural sea salt, um, I don't believe, but it may be a different country and I'm conflating the two um, because there's a thing called a salt egg um, it's very rare to get. It's very difficult to get um, because of the way it's produced. And I think the country isn't allowed to export it because it doesn't have iodine in it, if I remember right. But again, I might be confusing a, a couple of things. So I'm sorry about that if I am. Um, they actually, they, de, they, um, they boil off the water from salt water. It's this all natural process all they do is keep pouring <laughs> salt water into this little cup and eventually it just solidifies layer after layer of salt and then eventually they crack open these little cups and people scrape off natural salt sea salt um, but apparently you can't get it anywhere not everywhere i should say um, because of the export rules so they also grew microgreens with a 45% reduction in potassium levels to attend to the needs of chronic kidney disease sufferers for whom its intake must be restricted to avoid health complications. Um, since vegetables contain high concentrations of potassium, patients with impaired kidney function are sometimes advised not to eat vegetables, which is really rude um, because of so many other nutrients that come from vegetables. That's right or that they should be soaked in water and boiled to reduce the potassium content through leaching. Wow. That's a pain in the butt. But Plus I guess it's, it's not very good for uh, food tastiness. Yeah. What are you having today? Mush. So microgreens were grown in soil in a soilless system where a liquid medium is used in place of soil and the plants are fed through a nutrient solution. So this is what we do here in hometown. Um, 100% crop recovery. We have no predation. We don't have any manure or anything. You're not going to get. What's the one that uh, everybody gets um, that's from manure? It's not listeria. It's something else. E. coli. E. coli. There you go. Thank you. So explaining the advantages of the oil uh, of the soilless system, the author said soilless cultivation is considered an advanced environmentally friendly agricultural practice for enhancing the quality of fresh vegetables. In fact, although soilless cultivation systems have been developed primarily to address the challenge of excessive soil pathogens, it is nonetheless true that they also favor optimal control of plant growth, high productivity, and an efficient use of water and fertilizer. Furthermore, soilless systems represent an opportunity to modulate the nutrient solution precisely and efficaciously. That's how they do it. They do it through the nutrient bath. So, so they cool. just put more of whatever the preferred nutrient is, I guess. I, I think they manipulate and it. And then it yeah. soaks some of that up. More or less, yeah. The key uh, idea is to leverage in-depth knowledge of plant metabolic pathways to identify key points where intervention is possible to increase production. Yeah. Cool. I knew I was on the right track years and years ago. <laughs> I could have been a member of the Society of Chemical Industry. You missed your calling. That's exactly what I was going to say, AI. 
exactly what I was going to say. It's creepy. Get out of my head. So the next article is over in hometown daily. Crypto mines will have to start reporting their energy use in the United States. The US DOE will begin collecting data on crypto mines, electricity use following criticism from the environmental advocates over how energy hungry those operations are. I read a report, 2% of total energy consumption is crypto mining based in the United States. The total nation. 2%? 2%. Wow. <laughs> yeah. For something is something ethereal. <laughs> so ethereal, they named one of the crypto uh, currencies Ethereum. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you haven't paid attention to the way I feel about crypto, then, I, I, well, go back and watch almost 800 episodes. FOMO. <laughs> FOMO, yes. Um, and whenever, whenever anything is cat, whenever anything bad happens in crypto, it's freaking catastrophic. It's never just $25,000 were lost today. It's $250 million were stolen from and, and, or this entire bank collapsed and it's $15 trillion worth of assets are now somewhere in the wind because it's all crypto bullshit. Anyway. Uh, the articles over at the verge, Justine Kalma is the author. The deck statement says a survey of crypto mines, electricity consumption in the U S is set to start next week. Again, that was last week, January 31st, 2024, when the statement was made. Um, let's see if they say it somewhere in this article, cause I, we don't read the article prior to the show. We actually just kind of um, skim along and because we have some experience with all of this kind of stuff getting to this point has been a slog after a ban on bitcoin mining in china in 2021 the u.s became the world's biggest hub for bitcoin mining the mining boom raised flags for lawmakers and activists because of the energy demands of the process bitcoin mines managed to resurrect fossil fuel power plants and raise electricity costs for some residents in new york I didn't know part of why it boomed was because China didn't allow it. That's interesting. Yeah, let it be somebody else's burden. I, I'm sure that companies in China are actually riffing off of Bitcoin, but it's somebody else's burden to amplify it. Um, but I don't know for sure. In 2022, Democratic lawmakers asked the biggest crypto mining companies in the U.S. to disclose their energy consumption and associated pollution. None of the companies responded with... All the data they were asked to provide and Congress subsequently asked the DOE and EPA to require that crypto mining companies or crypto companies in general publicly share the information. Yeah. Wait, when asked by lawmakers, you can just simply not respond. Wow. If I would have only known that, <laughs> just ignore them. Just ignore them. It'll be fine. Oh, I'm not rich enough to just ignore them. Oh, shit. Yeah, well, crypto mines apparently have to start reporting. And um, yeah, the last number that I saw was something to the tune of 2% of total power generation is consumed by crypto mining operations. Which is really incredible because there have to be industries that use so much power. Sure. Yeah. Arc furnaces, for instance, in, in manufacturing of metals, they consume massive amounts of energy 
and you've never heard a report saying that they take 2%. <laughs> Nobody's complaining right. about it. I mean, it. that's the thing. This is just astounding. I know it's 2%, but the fact that it's even on the scale is unbelievable. And I can imagine that, let's say that like arc reactors, arc generate, uh, so the arc furnaces use electricity to melt metals. Even if they do use a, a crazy amount, let's say they use 10%, the benefit of the arc furnace to industry is spectacular. Whereas Bitcoin mining is creating an, a perceived asset that's pegged to the productivity of those arc furnaces. They're generating something that is adding to the GDP, whereas a cryptocurrency is basically a tax, you know? Oh, uh, Bitcoin is worth $40,000, but inherently Bitcoin is just trash. It's garbage. It has no inherent value because everybody, like I've said in other episodes, you don't look at a Bitcoin and go, hey, what can I buy with a Bitcoin? You go, hey, I've got a Bitcoin. How much is it worth in US dollars so that I can go and buy something with my Bitcoin? <laughs> you know, I can buy $40,000 worth of gumballs, but it's US dollars that it gets translated into before it becomes a currency to spend. That's just how it is because it's a useless currency unless you have a bunch of them and then you can become a billionaire by slowly selling them off at a profit. Good luck with that. I'm sure. And I know people that have done exactly that. They have no want for money and they just do what they do because they want to do it. Um, all because of crypto. So I could have stayed in crypto, but I didn't. Okay. Let's keep on going though. Got a few more articles. This next article is over in the continuity report. UMG universal music group warns it'll pull songs from TikTok after deal expiration. And this is a, a time machine article that we now know actually is on the precipice of taking place. Um, I, what do they call it? The great quieting or the, the muting, the muting or something like that. Um, Universal Music Group, one of the largest music companies in the world, said it failed to reach a new deal with TikTok over issues including artist compensation and AI, and that TikTok tried to bully UMG into a deal worth less than its previous pact. As such, UMG says... Mute-pocalypse. Mute Mute-pocalypse, yeah. I like mine better. Todd Spangler over at Variety.com. Put this article together, it says TikTok says UMG has put their own greed above the interests of their artists and songwriters. <laughs> it's like pointing, everybody pointing at each other, you know? Exactly. You're a greedy bastard. No, you're a greedy bastard. No, you're a greedy bastard. Y'all are greedy bastards. UMG said its agreement with TikTok is set to expire on January 31st. <gasps> the companies have not agreed to terms. Uh, for a new agreement and so yeah um y'all will find out if you are listening to this from the great beyond january 31st 2024 you will find out in short order that tiktok videos are being muted now because they no longer are allowed by the license which is really really bad because 
a video, if a video is already produced and it was under the licensing terms, it should persist indefinitely. I don't know if it's quieting old videos as well. Oh, wow. If so, that's going to set off a series of other issues. Yeah, because everybody who's produced a video with UMG licensed music is now going to go mute. And it, there's zero fidelity. That, that's the bitch of this. You know, you produce a video that has a license. They revoke the license and the whole damn video gets muted. Not just the song. Uh, we need a system that has multiple tracks that can strip away an unlicensed bit. Agreed. Three years ago in February 2021, UMG touted a global agreement with TikTok that said that it delivers equitable compensation for uh, recording artists and songwriters and significantly expands and enhances the company's existing relationship, promoting the development of new innovative experiences. This is such hype bullshit. We got our money. <laughs> That's basically what it amounts to. I guess I'm just jaded, cynical. On Tuesday, UMG posted an open letter to the artist and songwriter community with the headline, Why We Must Call Time Out on TikTok. Because they're not The question is, did they post it on TikTok? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be funny. In the letter, the music company called TikTok an increasingly influential platform with powerful technology and a massive worldwide user base that we can exploit for our pro... Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Um, it just says worldwide user base. And then they go on to say been pressing them on three critical issues appropriate compensation for our artists well it was appropriate three years ago why isn't it still appropriate it's not like your cost of existence has gone up that music was priced at x why isn't it still x time shouldn't make it rarer because it's it is unlimitedly available for distribution because everybody else is paying for the electrons and and the airwaves and everything else. Why does it increase in cost? That's a great question. I'm paying Maybe for because somebody's profits. Man, and we've been pressing them on three critical issues, appropriate compensation for our artists and songwriters, protecting human artists from harmful effects of AI. That isn't going to stop anything from AI. Kiss my shiny metal ass. If anything, because of this type of, for me, abusive policy, it's going to amplify the use of AI. Because then if I use AI to create music that I find appealing, I don't have to worry about UMG's licensing bullshit. Online safety for TikTok users. <coughs> How is that going to really increase online safety for TikTok users? Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think the key is in this next paragraph, right? Like TikTok is only 1% of their revenue. Interesting. Like some something is bothering them about TikTok and they're like, it's not worth it. That's an interesting observation. Ultimately, TikTok is trying to build a music-based business without paying fair value for the music, says UMG's letter. Really? You just got into bed with them. How can you sit there and suddenly go, you you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I mean, it's the equivalent of, well, I can't do that right now. Yeah, this is kind of, this is horrible. 
I don't know, to me it's a bad take, but when you are UMG and you have billions of dollars in, in assets, of perpetual licensing assets, old music, new music, eh, everything, all it is is a licensing house. I don't know. I think AI eventually is going to eat up music other than, you know, fan driven purchases, but me playing it in the background, like I'm doing right now, I'll take AI in a heartbeat. I just happened to license from a particular company. I used to have the licensing from three major companies, but I paid for years and then they said, oh, none of this is synchro licensing. I have to clear the license from the company that, not the company, but the people. I have to get permission from the writers, from the musicians. Are you That's kidding me? It's a pretty me? archaic system. It's called clearing and there is no way in hell. And it's meant that way so that you have to go through this licensing bullshit. Come on, you could make it a clearing house. If I can buy a song through Apple or something, then why can't I, you know, stream the music and compensate as per radio? But that's not what I'm allowed to do. Oh, God, it's so frustrating. Yeah, and a secret license means that I can't create a VOD that has music. Anyway, our negotiations continue. TikTok attempted to bully us into accepting a deal worth less than the previous deal. Maybe it's because you're not really worth that much. You're just a value add to TikTok. And now you're nothing but a pain in the ass for TikTok. So. Okay, so let's keep on going. This is our last article for our Time Machine episode, unless you want to talk about the other one still. No, I think that's time to go to Egypt. Oh, well, this one is really interesting because uh, this this actually is pretty upsetting for me because I'm really into Egyptology. It was one of the things that I was really passionate about when I was young. The articles over in hometown daily. Egypt is renovating one of its ancient pyramids using granite and some heritage experts are horrified. I'm not a heritage expert, but I'm horrified. But wait till you see the caption for the picture and i'm gonna just go over to business insider so business insider is the source of this article and um, the title of it is egypt is renovating one of its ancient pyramids using granite and some heritage experts are horrified miyajenkowitz is the author and reem makul is the is an author but they have a screenshot from a video shared by mostafa waziri head of Egypt's Supreme Council of Activities on January 29th, 2024. Okay, so no, they are not the uh, head of Egypt's Supreme Council of Activities. It's antiquities. <laughs> Is and, that seriously an error? I mean, I yeah. thought that was like a cruise director or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. And they did a correction at the bottom of the page, but for something else, not this. So nobody's told them that it's not the Supreme Council of Activities. Yeah, I got, I chuckled about that. So I'm like looking around going, is this really a tight? No, 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 it's not. Anyway, so the restoration project to cover one of Egypt's most iconic pyramids with granite cladding is produced 
a decidedly mixed reaction among heritage experts and social media users. I don't think that they should tamper with it. It is what it is. And historically, it shouldn't be screwed around with. Because every time you start messing around with it, you are either hiding um, or destroying the true nature of the pyramids. How was it constructed? Why was it constructed that way? Um, people scavenged the 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 real cladding from the pyramids um, up to a certain point, and I think that it's just ruinous of the historical context of the pyramids. So they posted a picture of some of the stuff already underway. The footage shows Waziri in front of the Menkuri um, pyramid, the smallest of the famous structures on the outskirts of Giza, Cairo. Um, so estimated to have been built around 5,000 years ago, I think longer from limestone, granite and mortar. The pyramid was designed to be the last resting place of Pharaoh Menkari. I don't think so, but okay. Anyway, the video shows workers excavating sand from a section of the pyramid's base. Layers of gray blocks are already visible. The project will span three years and will involve intensive study and documentation. Yeah, I really am not in favor of this. Yeah. Yeah, because it used to be smooth, lime, white limestone all the way up. Um, <clears throat> uh, but depending on the pyramid, there were these huge megalithic blocks underneath it to uh, set the foundation, and there's subterranean passageways and stuff like that. Um, and the thing about it is there's nothing inside like there's never any illumination there's never any names there's just nothing um but anyway and all of them have always been pilfered every single place has been pilfered except for a, a couple of them where they were sealed but even those sealed ones had been accessed by somebody in the historic historical record um even perceived or said to be completely sealed uh tombs um which anyway hannah said the intervention goes against all principles of conservation agree interfering with the nature of the monument can cause visible problems and major damage because it's no longer going to be set in stone har har um you'll just be dumping stuff on top of it and it's going to change the very nature um, of the pyramid so, um, yeah, I, I just think that it, it's a real shame that they're going to be doing it. It's unclear if uh, that is part of the plan. And they're referring to an Egyptologist at the American University in Cairo told the outlet the project could work as long as the stones used are the ones found around it and not adding new ones that do not belong to the pyramid. Um, there isn't enough stones that would be matching the size and, and structure. Um, there's a, uh, a person on YouTube, <clears throat> what is it? History and granite or something like that. Uh, I might have to find it and put it in the show notes, um, who discovered by analyzing the courses, um, how the pyramids were actually constructed, um, in like layer after layer. Um, so places, stones were placed and then they were locked in by wedge stones and you could actually see 
near symmetry in how it's produced one course after another. There's other arguments about how it was produced, um, how it was put together as one giant spiral with um, a crane basically being uh, put in the corner so that it would lift up via a counterbalance. And there's some cave or tunnel somewhere around the pyramid where ropes were used, but there's no evidence of pulleys. So how the hell did they actually do that? Um, yeah, there's a lot of mystery around how it was constructed, but one thing I think is true is the way that the, this, um, uh, YouTuber, um, that does archeological research. And let me see if I can find them really quick. Um, uh, well, while you're looking for that, I feel like there's a chance that not only are they going to damage it, but what happens if something occurs during this project itself? You know, they drop stone in the wrong place or they there's just too much potential to damage something that is irreplaceable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think that they should mess with it. But you know what? I am apparently not the person that's going to be. Um, <laughs> making the decision on that yeah um i i really want to show you or at least i want to tell you the name of the, the youtuber so we this is our last article so we have a little bit of time i suppose yeah okay so hold on everybody let's see if i can find it i mean i follow a couple hundred history for granite history for granite yeah there you go thank you so um, that person went through using drone footage and detected basically um, near symmetry in how it was laid out. And it looks like it starts in the corners and goes inward. Um, and some are in the middle working outward and where they butt up against each other, there's a smaller stone that's wedged in place to lock all of the stones together. And when you think about it, you're like, well, no shit, that's actually really brilliant because you have all of these anchor stones all over the place. And then when you hammer that keystone in, it locks everything in place. And it's just like an, an arch, right? So you can put a whole bunch of stones together. And then at the very top is a keystone that locks everything together. And all the weight is pushed out to the side pillars. That's basically what's going on with the pyramids around the outer course and then they place the inner course um and then they do the next level dun 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 all the way up to the very tippy tippy top um it was just an amazing observation i hope that they've done it with the rest of the pyramids i haven't looked in a little while um, but if it is true then i think that they discovered something that i hadn't known before and i don't know if egyptologists have ever discovered that level of symmetry within the um courses of stones so it's pretty amazing and guess what you're gonna lose when you do that you if you start covering up the pyramid again you lose that direct observation of the under stones the core of the pyramid so you basically turn it into uh, a marketing tool and you have no external scientific research that can be done You'd have to remove all of these courses of cover stones. Yeah. 
So this is a bummer. Uh, but you know, I'm not the, wait, what's the, Oh, the activity director. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the head of Egypt's Supreme council of activities. Okay. Everybody it's yoga day. <laughs> what was the name of the person on love boat? Um, like one person was named like squirrel or something. What was his name? can't remember it. I'm so bad with names. Uh, Stubing maybe. Well, that was the captain, captain Stubing. Um, but then there was like an activities director and a bartender and some like a yeoman or something like that. And I can't remember what his name was. I thought his name was like Scooby or something like that. It's not Scooby, but whatever. Anyway, I think we've invested too much time in this and we should probably just get into the party bus and drive back down main street and that gopher gopher. There you go. I thought it was squirrel, but gopher. Yeah. Cause he was a gopher. He basically told them people told him to go do things and he'd go do them. That's me on most days. So at any rate, that's it folks. We always go back down to main street and, uh, this is what January 31st, 2024 looked like before it switched over to February 1st and our time machine is about to overheat. So we better get out of here. Okay. AI. Okay, I'm Marewatch. Let's do it. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that keeps tabs on Marewatch. You want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll get out of our time machine and we'll be back on schedule tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. See you then. Bye bye. Man, this time machine is so hot. <laughs>